This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with Helena Telcamranta and she is the Executive Director of Elephants at Work. And we're going to talk with her today about her organization and the work that they are doing to improve the welfare of captive elephants and the safety of their handlers. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Helena to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And it's my pleasure to welcome Helena Talcanrata to the show today. Hello, Helena, and welcome. Hello, and thank you. Yes, well, we're so glad that you could be with us today. I I have to tell you that I have been wanting to do a show about working elephants ever since we started this show some years ago. So I'm so glad and delighted that you're with us. My pleasure. Yes. Well, tell us about, I mean, how many working elephants do you really think that there are right now throughout the world and what kinds of jobs are they performing? Most of the working elephants in the world are in Asia, and there is a total of approximately 15,000 to 16,000 elephants in captivity, mainly working elephants in Asia. And additionally, there are some 1,000 in in the rest of the world, 1,000 Asian elephants and 1,000 African elephants in captivity. Some of them are working in circuses, most of them are in zoos. But but the majority of the actual working elephants are are in Asia, and the biggest countries in Asia, in the biggest populations of working elephants are found in Burma, or, or Myanmar, as it's also called, and India and Thailand. And they are doing quite different jobs. In Burma, the, most of the elephants are used in logging. There is about 6,000 elephants in Burma, and almost all of them are used in logging. 
So they are hauling hauling logs in the forest, which is really hard work. In Thailand, uh, there's about 2,400 working elephants, mostly in tourism. So these are the elephants that that are carrying tourists in various holiday destinations. And then in India, there's approximately 3,400, and there's a really variety of jobs in, in India. Some of them are in temples, religious sites where they are performing in rituals, and some of them are used in patrolling conservation areas, and some of them are used in chasing wild elephants away from people's fields when wild elephants come and eat people's crops. Then there's a total of 10 countries in Asia that are using working elephants. So such as Nepal or Sri Lanka or Indonesia and so on. The total population is about 15,000 or 16,000 in Asia. Well, and how did your organization, Elephant Experts, get started and, and what is it that you provide? We got started already in 2005, so almost 10 years ago. And we got started when I was, the idea was originally born when I was working for the World Wildlife Fund in Nepal. And the World Wildlife Fund has been developing various projects in integrated development cooperation and nature conservation, where the idea is to develop new ways to protect wildlife in ways that also benefit the poor people, local people. And while doing that work, I started developing the idea of also having integrated development cooperation and animal well-being, because elephants the ordinary way of training elephants, which is still very common across Southeast and South Asia, is something that would be forbidden by law in most Western countries because it is very violent. There is a lot of bloodshed. Sometimes elephants die during training. And it is also people suffer when they have to do this. It is psychologically hard for the, for the people to do it. And also elephants become quite aggressive. So there are casualties. People also get killed occasionally. And so I started thinking that since there is the main problem for, the main reason for this problem was the lack of knowledge. The, the lack of knowledge that there are other ways of training animals, that animals can also be trained by positive reinforcement without needing to force them to things by violence. And so I started discussing with my contacts in, in Nepal, in the World Wildlife Fund office and in the local government there, and suggesting the idea of starting a collaborative and constructive project where we would bring the know-how in positive reinforcement training to the professional elephant trainers in, in Nepal and, and guide them in adopting this new way. And, and so, so that got started. So what we are doing is that we are, we are providing know-how for people who are professionally using elephants. We are showing how elephants can be trained by positive reinforcement, and we are also introducing improvements in the in the ordinary management practices because there are many management practices that are quite detrimental to elephant health. For example, the widespread practice of binding their front legs to each other by chains when they are not working, so basically immobilizing the elephants for hours for the time of the day they are not working and they often this is done in a way that the elephant has to stand in an unnatural body posture which is very unhealthy for the joints and, and leg health. So we are also disseminating this kind of veterinary veterinary health information to improve the health and well being of, of the elephants. 
Yes, that's wonderful. Well, how is it when you're working with these local communities? Because I, I can imagine that that would be hard to get them to understand that they need you to come in and educate them about the welfare of the elephants. How do you do that? How do you go about that, Helena? Yeah, you're, you're very right that, that when people are, when this current system is the only system that people know, then they do not even know that they have a need for an alternative because they don't know that an alternative exists. What we do is, is we approach very gradually. So, so far, the first country where we have been working is Nepal because I knew people there already, so it was easy to start building it there. And now we are expanding to India at the moment and we are getting requests from other countries too which we will expand to later. But in every new location, what we do is is that we first, we start very small. We do not come in trumpeting that here we are coming to change the whole elephant training system in your country, but, but we are, what we, the way how we started in Nepal, and that similarly we will start in India now, that we first contacted through some of the local people who already work together with, with elephant handlers and trainers. I contacted them through these local people, asking whether they might be interested in meeting a foreign colleague, whether they might be interested in an idea that I would find an elephant trainer in some Western country who is skilled in positive reinforcement, and I would bring such a person for a visit, just an informal, friendly visit, so that the local elephant trainers and handlers could share experiences with this foreign colleague. And so by first organizing such very small informal visit, uh, I was able to create a situation where we were allowed to show some training tricks with one of their own previously untrained elephant calves. This was the key point because I, I wanted a situation where, where we are working with one of their own elephants so that the local people will know that this elephant has not been trained before and so that when some very basic training things with positive reinforcement with this elephant in front of the local trainers, they will see how quickly an elephant starts learning when you are rewarding him instead of punishing and pushing and hurting and injuring him like in the in the traditional way. And so the idea was to trigger, to, to make them feel intrigued by seeing that, wow, it's possible to make an elephant learn that fast and also that calm because the ordinary system, there is a lot of panic and sometimes people get injured just simply because the poor elephant gets panicked in, in the middle of training and it becomes so much more calm when you do it with, with positive reinforcement in a skillful way. So we have been working from that on. So first showing what it can be. And then for every step from then on, we have just waited for the local people to ask for us to do more. It's it's a very sensitive thing to start changing some practice in a different country and different culture. So for every step, we have been creating situations where the other part of the local government or the local trainers ask us to do something more. Please come back and give us a longer course on this or please help us to train the elephants in one whole camp and so on. So we are never the ones who suggest the proceeding to the next step, but we're just creating the atmosphere where the local partner can then at some point ask us to proceed. And by using this stepwise approach, we have now in Nepal proceeded from the, this very first informal visit, which we started planning in 2005 and did it in 2006. We have now proceeded to through increasing steps to the current situation where when we are discussing with the national government in Nepal, not whether, but when and how we are going to change the whole elephant training and management system of the whole entire Nepal to modern animal-friendly techniques. That's awesome. 
That's so great. One of the very key things is is the non-criticizing approach because there have been some campaigns by Western animal welfare organizations and animal rights organizations such as the PETA in the U.S. have been had some pressure campaigns, for example, boycotting Thailand at some point because of these elephant issues. But that kind of campaigns have only made the situation worse. So to, to offer a constructive collaboration and to come as friends and to come not criticizing but showing that there is this technique and if you're interested, we can help you learn it. So that's, that's the way how, in our experience, how you can proceed. Right. And yes, because you're doing positive reinforcement for the animals and also for the humans. You know, that, yes. that's, yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. I think it's it's quite charming how many parallels there are in working with training animals with positive reinforcement and taking a gradual approach and making sure that everything is rewarded and so on. So it's very similar to, to introducing improvements in a different culture. Yes, that's wonderful. Well, how long do you usually stay in a community to do the training? How long is the training and, and what's the best scenario for that? Well, so far we have been able to, we would have liked to spend longer times in the field as compared to what we have been able to do, uh, partly because the trainers, the best elephant trainers in the world, they are very few and, and they are very busy, so it's been difficult to get them to the field for a long time. And also we have been running this whole thing with a very small budget, which also has limited the time we have spent in the field. What we have done so far is that we have been giving short courses such as two weeks or three weeks at a time and partly uh, repeated courses to the same audiences and partly courses to new audiences. But such short courses are not enough for really in-depth learning. So at the moment what we are now planning together with the government is that we are going to establish together with the government an actual elephant handling school kind of a government control system system in Nepal where, where we would train the teachers and then the teachers would spend spend enough time with the local because I would say that it will take a few few months of learning and then later some short refreshment courses to really become a professional good elephant trainer with positive reinforcement. Yes. These people who are working with elephants know they do have quite a lot of practical knowledge about elephants, but they also have many beliefs that they have to unlearn, and that also takes time. And one of the most difficult beliefs to unlearn is also the main reason for the traditional training method being so cruel, and that is the very widespread belief that elephants understand human language. And that elephants, it's very common in these countries for people to believe that that animals understand what people say and elephants especially are expected to understand everything that people say and they are expected to know what kind of work people want them to do. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and so when in traditional training, when they are not obeying the commands that they are given, so they get punished and people don't realize that they are punishing them for not understanding Mm. Well, you mentioned that budget is an issue, and and that was one of my questions, is how is this work funded and your organization? Where does your funding come from? In the beginning, for the first three years, uh, we got a startup grant from the WISPA, the World Society for the Protection of Animals, which is the largest uh, international animal protection organization in the world. They currently recently changed their names, so now they are called World Animal Protection. But so they, they provided us with a startup grant for the first three years. And then World Wildlife Fund Finland office 
provided us with a startup grant for the first six years. And the Finnish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Development Cooperation Section of the Finnish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, also provided a startup grant for, for the first six years. So with this, we got started. And all of these funders were very satisfied with the results. But also in all of their cases, the money, it was already from the beginning agreed that the money is all, only to get started and then to continue, the funding has to be found elsewhere. So after that, we have been getting some private private donations and some donations from individual people. And, and at the moment, we are searching for new kind of institutional funding. Because mm-hmm. there is there is quite a lot of need need for new funding, and we we would be able to expand faster if we had more funding. We do get requests. We have got requests from well several places in India and and also Sri Lanka and Thailand and Vietnam to start similar similar projects there. But but for each of these, we first have to secure the funding. Yes, yes. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors, but we're going to come right back and continue talking with Helena about the incredible work that she's doing with elephants throughout the world. So come right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio, and we're visiting today with Helena Telkanrata, which I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, Helena. I apologize. Um, and oh, she's a very good approximation. Oh, good, good. Well, and she is the executive director of Elephant Experts, and you just—it's fascinating what all you've been sharing with us about the work that you do, and and I'm just so thankful for that and for the changes that you're making in these traditional communities where this is has been occurring for so many years. And I was wondering if we could talk in our our next segment here about the elephants and about some of the specifics about them. And I was wondering if you could tell us about the different species of elephant. Yeah, well, currently biologists recognize three different species of elephants. Um, I think many of the listeners are familiar with the concept of there being Asian elephants and African elephants. But actually recently, uh, by looking at the DNA of elephants, Biologists have found out that there are two different species of African elephant. They were previously thought to be subspecies, but they are actually so different that they are genuinely two species. So there is the African savanna elephant, also called bush elephant, which is the one that you most commonly see in nature documentaries. This is the one with very large ears that have the same shape as the map of Africa and, and very large and thick tusks. 
And then there is the African forest elephant, which is a lot more rare and leads a more secretive life. So there, that's something that you don't very often see in nature documentaries. That is a smaller elephant. It has very large, roundish ears and very thin tusks. And then there is the Asian elephant, which is which is a bit smaller than the African one, with smaller ears. And the females don't have tusks. Only males have tusks. And, and there are also tuskless males among the Asians. And the Asian elephants, they are only one species, but there are several subspecies, which also are very different in appearance. So the Asian elephants in the northernmost parts of their range, like in Nepal and northern India, they are very tall. They have very long legs. They are almost as large as African elephants. And then the more south you go in Asia, the smaller the elephants get. And already in Thailand, they are quite cute when they have these short legs and <laughs> large, large heads as compared to the northern elephants. And then in, on the island of Borneo, there actually is a, this subspecies of pygmy elephants. So they are quite quite small and very small ears, but they are still of the same species as, as the other Asian elephants. Well, educate us on how elephants communicate and give us some insight into their social behavior. Yeah, well, that's quite a complex and, and fascinating area. <laughs> Elephant communication takes place through several senses, but most of all through voice and also through smell. Elephants, similarly to other very large animals such as whales, they are able to produce infrasonic sounds, which means that they are sounds that are so low in frequency that we humans are not able to hear them. And the practical thing about infrasonic sounds is that the longer the wavelength of sound, in other words, the, the lower pitched sound is, the longer distance it can travel. So when you are vocalizing to your comrade elephants in infrasound, the other elephants can actually hear this from many kilometers away. And so part of the elephants communicating calls and also warning signals and come here signals and so on are in this infrasonic range so that we can't hear it. But then they also have many, many sounds that we can hear. For example, the trumpeting, which might be the most familiar elephant sound to many. The trumpeting is kind of a sound of warning or alert. If, if an elephant startles, she may trumpet. If an elephant gets really scared, then the poor thing starts whimpering like a dog. It sounds like... They have a very, very wide repertoire of of sounds, but then they also communicate to like it, like any mammals with body postures, such as if they spread their ears, that means that please don't come closer, I'm feeling insecure or I'm feeling threatened. So the opening or spreading ears is kind of a mild warning that no closer, please. And then smells, they are very good at detecting, like all mammals, they are good at detecting their each other's, for example, reproductive stage, if a male knows whether a female is an estrus by, by the smell. And yeah, then you ask about social social structure. Actually, in Africa especially, there's been a fascinating project, a research project following the social structure and also communication of, of elephants for decades. And in Asia, there's been also some work done more recently in wild elephants. And what they have found is that elephants actually have the most complex social structure in the whole animal kingdom. So we humans are the only species of animal that have an even more complex social structure than elephants. And in, in the wild, the elephant family life centers, the, kind of the central unit is, an, is a mother elephant with the offspring. An elephant mother usually has the sons that are below 10 years, they still travel with the mother and the daughters usually stay with the mother for life. 
So the central unit is, is the mother with her offspring, and then uh, related mothers form form uh, groups that usually travel together but can split, especially if there's scarcity of food. And these groups again unite to form even larger groups during, for example, during rainy season. And then there is a fourth. Uh, level of grouping that comes together very seldom only if there is some crisis for example a lot of hunting and and some some leader elephants have died but this even this fourth level group defends a common territory even though they very seldom gather all together physically and these family groups they are always led by old females and males they leave their mothers when they are about 10 to 12 years old they first team up with other young males but often also like to travel with older older males. So males males have this kind of a networking social structure that male elephants, even lone male elephants, are no, not loners, but they frequently visit several different family groups in the area and also communicate with each other. Wow, it's amazing. It sounded, sounded messy, but, yeah. but it was kind of a simplified version. Yes, so. yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's so amazing. I mean, and I, I, that study sounds really interesting. That's Is the study still occurring or has it completed that you mentioned? Uh, they are still going on. There is a fascinating website that they have. It is called Elephant Voices. It is this study in Africa, the long-term study in elephant communication. So, so that's one nice website for anyone interested in. Oh yes, there's a lot, of, a lot of information about elephants there. Is it elephantvoices.com? Is that the uh, the web address? Oh, it actually is elephantvoices.org. Dot org. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, and one other thing that you mentioned, I mean, you talked about some of the jobs that elephants have currently, and one of those was tourism. And I, yeah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And because I know people, a lot of people are innocently thinking that they're probably supporting elephants when indeed mm-hmm. they might be supporting just the opposite of where elephants are mistreated. So how would someone find an elephant friendly place? Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking. That's a very important and relevant question. And you are absolutely right that, that many people who are innocently taking part in an elephant ride, they are actually perpetuating the, the trade where the elephants are trained, usually in a very brutal way. And outside of the rides, they are kept chained. Usually they are kept kind of immobilized, chained, standing in chains in one place and deprived of all of the social life that elephants, that is actually very important for elephants in their well-being. So as a tourist, if, if a tourist would like to see elephants and contribute to their well-being instead of uh, their problems, there are some sanctuary-type tourist attractions where the idea is not to ride on the elephants, but the idea is that these places have elephants that have been rescued, for example, elephants that have been injured or overworked or old or ill or something, and then they are brought into these sanctuaries where they can live in kind of semi-natural environments, just be elephants, and, and then the tourists can can watch them and in some places also participate in feeding and bathing and so on. And the most well-known in of such places and very good place is in northern Thailand. It is called Elephant Nature Park, and it's, it's one of these sanctuaries where all the elephants that are there have been rescued from problematic conditions and and these kind of sanctuary type places are the ones where it actually the money of the tourists goes towards improving the lives of the elephants. Basically with elephant rides there are some places that are not as bad as the others in terms of elephant rides 
but as a general rule, if a tourist is interested in well-being of elephants, a very good idea is to avoid elephant rides. Yes, yes. Well, and I I think that's really valuable information because I think so many people want to support elephants and are uneducated about what mm-hmm. that really means. Yes. And I love your website. You also have something listed on the website called Responsible Travel. Yes, that's one of the websites where they give some more information about elephants in tourism. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for that. And I know our listeners will want to check out your website, which is elephantexperts.org. And I'm so sorry that our time is coming to an end today because I could listen to you talk about this all day. But I do have one last question for you. And that is, how can our listeners get more information or if they want to donate? What could they do, Helena? Well, uh, the easiest way to get in touch with us is through our website, uh, the, as you said, elephantexperts.org. There is also a contact page there through which anyone who is interested can get, get in touch with us to ask more or, or if, somebody, if somebody is willing to kindly donate, that also is, of course, very welcome. Well, that's great. And thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you so much for the incredible work that you're doing. And I hope you'll come back and tell us more as you expand into other countries and and as you grow as an organization, because it just seems like you're making such a difference for these incredible, beautiful animals. Thank you. It was a real real pleasure to visit your show. And I'm sure I, I would be most happy to, to update you and your listeners in, in the future on how, how it is going. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We're so glad that you could join us again today. And we love hearing from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you can email me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. You can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Twitter and read our blog at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks so much. Thanks to our awesome sponsors. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.